We are so excited you've decided to listen to this week's sermon podcast. Hey, we release sermon podcasts weekly, so be sure to follow us and hit that notification bell so you can be notified when episodes are released. God bless and enjoy. Excited. Amen. Amen. We're going to go to Romans 8 and verse number 31. Just going to read one verse, very, uh, I would say, popular if you will but we've heard this verse read many times and I love Paul's writing right here in Romans 8 and 31 what shall we then say to these things if God be for us who can be against us What shall we then say to these things, these charges, these accusations, these problems that are coming? What shall we say to these things? How do we respond? If God be for us, who can be against us? My, my, my. What a word. I want to talk to you for just a little bit. Let God write your story. Let God write your story. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl these premises today. I thank you for one more opportunity to preach your word, a good word, right out of this holy book that we call the Bible. And I thank you, Lord, for a privilege and opportunity to stand before these great people and just speak your word. You're an awesome God. Just touch our ears. Let us hear your word. Touch our minds to understand it. Touch our spirit that we may respond. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let's all say amen together and give the Lord a hand clap before you're seated. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your faithfulness. I want to sing an old song with you. Are you ready? It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for us. He'll do for you with arms wide open. He'll pardon you. Oh, he'll pardon you. It is no. What God can do. If you want to stand and sing it with me, that'll be in order. We're going to sing it one more time. It is no
for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. He'll pardon you. It is no some tears flowing in this place just just the song itself struck a nerve in somebody's walk there's no secret what God can do what he's done for others he'll do for you With arms wide open, He'll pardon you, He'll pardon you, it is no secret what God can do. With arms wide open, He'll pardon, He'll pardon you. Mm -hmm. It is no secret, it's not a secret what God can do. Uh, if you believe that, let's love him one more time. It is no secret what God can do. Amen. It was 1949. Billy Graham was looking to be the next religious world leader and effectually had become that to some degree. But he was looking for a platform that he could announce the fact that he was coming to have a two-week conference, 14 nights straight in Los Angeles, California. It would be the 1949 Billy Graham Crusade of Los Angeles, California. And he was seeking different outlets that may uh, interview him or have him on a late night television show or, or find the right newspaper, the right whatever was available in 49. And it wasn't a whole lot, but he was looking for that. And it came through a very unlikely source, and the source was called the Stuart Hamlin Show. Stuart Hamlin Show. It'd be a modern day, probably a cleaner version, but it'd be a David Letterman type 
nightly show where there's fun and comedy and uh, lots of things happen. And so Stuart Hamlin found out that Billy Graham was looking for a place to take his, his name and his brand to the next level there in the L.A. area. And so Hamlin was not, didn't seem like the best of choice for the people that were helping to handle Billy Graham and his schedules. He was uh, regarded as the radio's first singing cowboy. He was the son of a Methodist minister from right here in Texas. Did not handle his fame very well once he got to L.A. and got his own show and started doing some television and then some movies and uh, what have you. But his history says that he was an alcoholic or a heavy drinker at best. He was a brawler. He has, this is one thing that described him in 1949. Stuart Hamblin has destructive behavior. And it has produced and landed him in jail many times. What preacher, evangelist, wants to go on that show? Billy Graham, a much younger man, just looking for an opportunity. And while on the show, after he got to do his little segment, he looked to Stuart Hamlin and he said, I'd love for you to come to the crusade, Stuart. And he said, well, you know, I'd have to think about that how long will you be here again he said I'll be here the next 14 days I'll be here and so after about four or five days Hamlin got another invitation and he did not take it after another week went by he did not take it he was sent a message and was told this is the last night of the crusade it's your last opportunity to hear the man that you helped put in this place and so Hamlin said that he thought about it and he said, well, I guess I'll just go in honor of, and I remember Daddy as a Methodist pastor. He used to sell a lot of things, and it won't hurt me to go sit through one church service. I've sat through many. And so he went, and that particular night he said, I felt a love. He said, I felt something that television couldn't give me. I felt something that my songs couldn't give me. The songs I'd been writing could not give me. He said, I just felt just this peace. It wasn't some newfound religion or some great new experience. He said, it, it was just a peace that come over me and something spoke to my heart and said, Stuart, you're a better man than that. He said, I made my mind up right then that I would begin to pray. And I would talk to the Lord and I would ask him to forgive me. And then I would ask him if I could live for him. There was an immediate change in town around L.A. and Hollywood and all around. He, he was seen different was Hamlin. The word got out that he had stopped drinking and stopped womanizing and stopped chasing the world and his barnyard lifestyle had turned around and his show had cleaned up a little bit so much that uh, it may not even be able to carry on in that particular setting. In 1949, the nation was hungry for something edgy. Well, if they could see us now. Well, some are still here seeing it. But his history, he starts staying home at night and he decided that 
he would invite some of his neighbors. He lived in a very affluent area in Los Angeles and he decided that he would start telling his neighbors and he, he went to Billy Graham the day he was supposed to leave and he said, Mr. Graham, he said, it is my opinion that you should stay another week. He said, why would you say that? He said, because what I felt, just the love I felt, just what was going on in my world at that time, I believe it would be helpful and I am going to spread the word. So he begins to do that across Los Angeles, across his nice neighborhood, back when a million-dollar home was a million dollars, not when it was three-quarters of an acre and a three-two. You know, I mean, it was a million. And so he goes back, and he, he, he begins to talk to his neighbors, and his immediate next-door neighbor, he went, and he knocked on the door, and he says, well, he says, uh, how are you, Stuart? And he said, how are you? And he said, I'm good. He said, come on in. And they began to talk. He said, have you ever heard of this evangelist, this crusader for Christ fellow that's been in town preaching? He said, yeah, I, I, heard, I heard about him. And he said, you know what, I, I think you, you should go with me. And he said, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't really have any interest in that. And he says, well, okay, and it was the end of the story. And so they, he goes and he's walking through town a couple of days later and he's going to the crusade nightly. Graham accepted his invitation to stay in Los Angeles. And he was walking around and a group of friends walked up to him and said, well, Stuart, it seems like the Lord must have just really changed your life. We don't see you at the club. We don't see you at this establishment and, and, and that one. And, and you're not acting the same. And in past, he said it's no secret what God can do Amen. that night he went back to his neighbor's house and the neighbor opened the door and he said John I gotta tell you something man he said something's been working on me he said well what is it Stuart he said John I can't get it out of my mind there is no secret about what God can do he's proved it in my life and, and town has noticed it and LA's taken a and John Wayne looked at Stuart Hamlin he said you're the best songwriter in this town Go home and write a song and title it, There Is No Secret What God Can Do. Seventeen minutes later, he come rushing out of his house and he said, John, you got to hear what God gave me. In 17 minutes, that song was written by the order and instruction of John Wayne. Come on, we've been singing around the world our entire life and we've got to understand that the story that hell was writing about Hamlin's life, God was writing another chapter still yet. Oh, somebody needs to hear me right now. There's no secret what God can do. And if you let him, there's no telling what he'll do. You can't let this world and your sin and your addiction and your problem, you can't let it write your final chapter. But you got to let God write your story. Oh, somebody needs to hear what I'm preaching right now. 
It was later recorded to win a great awards, most famously by Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash. Why? Because something moved across the ranks of country music. It held the gospel top, the pop top, and the country top all at the same time. The first and only song ever in history to hold all three of those titles was There Is No Secret. Pop culture got a visit to There's No Secret. The rock and roll groups got a visit to There's No Secret. Johnny Cash got no secret. Elvis Presley. Come on, somebody hear me. When Jesus does something public and openly... He rides the wrong. He turns the... There is no... So what shall we say to these things? These people call us drunks and carousers and loud and boisterous. What do we say to the people that talk about our worship and make fun of the way we preach and sing and get excited? They don't realize we were in prison and now we're free. We were in bondage and now we're free. We were in jail and now we're at church. We were addicted to drugs and now our mind is clean. We were addicted to the drink and the lust of the flesh. But now God is writing the story. Somebody needs to hear me preach right now. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? John Wayne. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I want to tell you something. If you make it about him and not about you, I like the fact that I get to stand up here. It's fun every now and then that somebody says, Pastor, I needed to hear that word, or that was a good, thank you for that text, or that phone call, or that visit. I appreciate that more than you know, but I want you to understand, it's not about me, it's not by me, it's not from me, it's not through me. This whole thing, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He'll use who he wants to. He'll forgive who wants it. He'll he'll restore and replenish the life that's spiritually dehydrated and fallen apart. And then it won't be no secret. Romans 8 and 35. Who? shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a question. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? It's a question. Can any of these things separate us? As it is written... For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who shall separate us? Nothing. But I understood something and I tied it into another verse. There's one thing I noticed that Paul did not say could not separate us from the love of Christ. 
He said, right now and tomorrow can't. But if you'll allow hell to write your story, yesterday will. It won't separate you from him loving you. It'll separate you from loving him. Paul had enough sense to know if people keep looking at their past, that can mess them up. But I can take care of now and I can take care of the future. Here's our only goal. Don't let the enemy write the end of our story. Let's make sure that God writes it because then nothing, nothing, no nothing. I jumped down here to the Old Testament to the minor prophet called Micah. And one of my very favorite verses in all of the scripture is found in 7 and 8 where he says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be my light unto me. He didn't say if I fall, if there's a possibility. He said, I know me. I'm a human being and I am filled with failure. When I fall, devil, don't get too happy because I plan on getting up again. Somebody ought to just get up right now and praise him anyway. You ought to praise him in spite of the problem. Praise him in spite of the misunderstanding. Praise him in spite of it all. I know what the world said about you, but they don't get the last pencil. I know what the world said about you, but they don't get the last church service. I know what the world said about you, but they don't get the baptistry. I know what, come on somebody, the world is not gonna write my end. Has anybody here ever been cursed? No, not cussed. Replace the one S with an R because it takes on a whole new meaning. Anybody here ever been cursed? Two times in my life I've been cursed. In the last 30 years plus a couple maybe I've been cursed. I had a person when I very first started trying to do the right thing for the Lord look me in my eyes 16 inches from my face and say you'll never make it you'll fall you'll be a laughing stock and I'll see to it. See you can cuss me. That don't that don't do nothing. When you curse me you try to speak into my destiny. Then just a couple of just a couple of years ago, somebody said, You might as well go ahead and know it. Told me this. Your ministry's already over. It's already ended. You just don't realize you're dead yet. Told me that. Let me tell you something, folks. You can't curse what God's blessed. That don't just go for me, but it goes for you. Once God has passed a blessing on you, nothing's going to curse you. It'll die before your curse. It'll fail before your curse. It'll go away and disintegrate with time before your curse. Woo! What? Nothing can separate. Rejoice not against me. Oh, can't, oh my enemy. 
for when I fall, I shall arise. Can you imagine just a little while later when Jesus Christ is sentenced to death? Can you imagine the feeling of those disciples and all of the followers there that were with him? The ones that believed in him, that saw the blind eyes open and the, and the withered hands outstretched and, and saw the lame feet and the ankle bones come together with the feet and they began to stand and walk normally even to a point of from one moment being completely down and can't walk to the next moment being legally cleared to go into the temple. I mean, can you imagine all of that's over? He's cried, it's finished. Darkness has come upon the earth. Hell has surely won a great victory. We find some disciples leaving the scene find one in particular hiding and trying to fit in with the world because he thinks it's going to be his new reality the Savior's gone and everything that I thought would work and so I'm going to try to fit in he went with one group and they said oh you're one of them Jesus freaks he said I've never even met the man quit talking to me about him and another group said oh yeah we saw you we know and so then he's going to get real clever and decide to start running a big long line of cuss words out there Go read it. That's what it says. Why? He was trying to make himself fit in with the world where he wouldn't be noticed. Folks, once you get the blood of the spotless lamb on you, you can cut it off, you can make it up, you can burn it, you can do whatever you want to, but you're never going to hide the blood of Jesus that's been applied to your life. I can't imagine how excited hell must have been and the disciples must have been torn down but here's what the story is God said I'm writing the end of this y'all just bear with me through this chapter that don't have a great look to it but by the time it says the end you will hear well done thou good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things I'll make you the ruler over many the world will not write my story So y'all don't know it, but y'all are fixing to preach for about 30 seconds. Y'all are fixing to preach. Can you imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The world was writing their story and said, if you don't bow down, when, when the sound of the psaltery and the harp and the sackbut starts playing, if you don't bow down to this king, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Hell was getting excited. Three roasted Oh, what a day that's going to be. And the Bible said they heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it was on a normal day for the normal usage. And they go to throw them in. The guys that threw them in the fire, the heat was so strong and powerful that they died right there on the edge of the fire. And they were in there. And the Bible says here after a little while, they decided to go look in there and see what was going on. And they said, oh, king, live forever. Didn't you throw three in the fire? He said, yeah. He said, oh, look, I see four walking around unharmed, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Somebody needs to hear me preach right now. The world will never write your story if you put the pen in God's hand. Somebody hear me. Below, I see four. They're unharmed. They don't even have the smell of smoke on them. By midnight that night, an entire nation had a new God. Let me tell you why. Because God wrote the end. 
Hey, now I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna run you on a timer. But I want some of you just got 30 seconds of shareable keyword. Shareable testimony. At 30 seconds, I'm gonna just we're going to the next person. You just get ready. You get ready. Because if you want to share, the Bible said you're made overcomers by the by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. We had testimony service in a while, but we've set the boundaries now, 30 seconds. And at them 30 seconds, but be thinking about this. What about Paul? He's been beaten down. He, 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 he's put on a ship, and they said, we can't keep the guy in prison. He has prison breaks. He prays and they have earthquakes. You know, we got to get rid of this guy. got to get him somewhere. So they put him in shackles, hands and feet, in the bottom of the prison boat, and they're sending him to this place down the coast, and all of a sudden a big storm comes, and the boat breaks apart, and all of the people, he says, y'all just hold on. Nobody on this boat is going to die. And they, they made it to this little island called Melita. He's cold. He's wet. He's bothered. He gets there and he sees some wood. He said, I got to get a fire going, man. I'm going to freeze to death. I'm hypothermic. He reaches down to get some wood to stoke the fire a bit. And a viper latches on to him. And everybody went, oh, surely that's why this man was sent. He really is a terrible guy on a prison ship. We better stay away from him. And the Bible said he just warmed himself up and went right on. And they looked and said, that viper did not even hurt him. He shook it off in the fire. What in the world is going on? Who do we have here? And the Bible said that Paul went around saying, hey, your mama's sick, take me to her in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the, the Bible said everybody on the island of Melita that wanted it got it. Hell said you're a prisoner. Okay, I got through that. It says you're shipwrecked and you're going to drown right here. I got through that. You got felony packed on top of felony. You'll never make it in regular society. Okay, so I made it here. Well, the snake got on you. You're not going to make it there. Nothing's going to work for you. Here's what happened. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to be the last one with the pen. If you make it that way, y'all need to hear me. When the enemy could not finish him off, the Lord wrote his next chapter. Amen. Who's got a testimony? 30 seconds that you'll share. Do it. would say once in trouble always in trouble once in alcoholism always once by the ways of the world and the lust of the flesh but you know what's happened right here he fell down to an altar and said Lord I want you to have the pen let God be the one that writes your story
next? Go ahead, Bucky. You're already going. I'm sorry, sister. Go ahead. 20 service before right now. Everything that's happening is happening on the move. Here's what I want you to know. The enemy would love to hold you down and say nobody cares about you. Your testimony will never be any good to anybody. But I'll tell you what, if he's got to take an alcoholic to go talk to John Wayne to write the song to get to you, that's what he'll do. He just wants the pen last. Hey, just looking for the healing of a child. And the enemy said he's not going to live long. It's not going to work out. And the doctors are saying, we don't know how long he's going to live, but it's a lot better than it was before you prayed for him. Why? Because somebody gave the Lord the opportunity. He'll never take it from you. He will never take it from you. If you want to write the end, he'll let you. If the world wants to write the end and that's good with you, he'll allow it. But if you'll ever just submit. Somebody say, hey, you know, he's got a pen. Well, he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Maybe it was with his finger. Whatever it takes. He's got it. You just turn that over to him. And let him ride it. Who's up next? We're not going to do too many. Right there. She was going to die. Somebody needs to hear what's being said. Hell said this is the way it'll end. She'll die lost. But God took the pen. Somebody. We had two standing right there, and we'll just go ladies first. Brother Word, I'm coming right to you.
But I had to open the garage and I went and I found our five gallon tank and I, you know, put gas in it, went and got the gas, brought it back and I said, Lord, you better give me strength to put some gas in this car. So I had to pick it up and put the gas in. So we got that going. And then after that, I was tired. I handed the keys to Marissa and I said, you're driving. So she got in and she drove real slow down the road. I said, go to Carl's. We go over to Carl's and she pulled up at the Carl's. Carl come out, smiling really big. And I says, come on, you get to drive it. So I jumped out and he drove in, got in it, and he just zoomed off as fast as he could go. Just like Jerry would have done, down the road. I mean, gone, you know, fire as could be. He come back and he didn't come back for a little bit. And went over to Brother Danny's house and I thought he was gonna get in the car. Marissa told me it was Tommy Kay that got in the car. And she gets in the car, she tells Marissa, hang on. And away they went. And Marissa said, my heart just fell out of, you know, she was scared. And so after that, I said, we have got one more place to go. And I go, well, actually two, but I don't think we can drive that far. And that would have, would have been Robert. But that's too far for us to drive right now. We're not used to that car yet. But I said, we're going out to the bishop, my brother-in-law. And I said, that's where we're going. So I drove the car out there, and we pulled up there. And he comes out, and he was smiling so big. Those beautiful teeth. There was, he was just smiling at that car. And I got out and I said, well, everybody's driven it but you. Here, you get to take Marissa for a drive. So he gets in the car and no, Glenda hadn't drove it. He, get, he gets in that 49 and he backs it up. And I figured he, but well, he was going real slow, real slow. And in my heart, I was thinking, he's very wise. He's very wise, you know. He's got really a lot of, uh, what do you want to say? Control. He wants to save his life, you know. But he drove down and drove really slow and came back, and he was so thankful for that car. And I said all of that to say this: we got in the car and we went to the very end of the of his driveway. And you know what met us at the very end of the driveway? All the herd of cows were standing there. I don't know if they come up there all the time. Maybe they do. But they, there was probably about 30 cows out there, and we stopped there just across the street, and they were all staring at. And the reason why I say that, I felt like God was telling me that Jerry, who was watching over us, that he was a part of that, and he was in power with us. through it uh, quite a bit of it all there's two of them sitting there that in a year's time lost a husband and a daughter but can stand on Sunday morning and just say I believe everything's okay that's the testimony right there everything's okay you know why because God wrote the end of their stories
shouldn't be standing here right now. Arm in a sling, banged up, scraped up, road rash all over the place. Brother Rusty came peeping up the church one time. Could only raise one hand to God. Fractured shoulder. I said, I would have beat up, I couldn't hardly move. Seven months. Seven months. And I can now pray. Because the world will only see the bad. But I have made up my mind. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. Somebody hear me right now. We're, we're just Let me do something real quick. Where's Brady? He's, where's he at? Oh, I wish he's up. Hey, so that's my middle grandson. Brady just graduated kindergarten the other day. Born early, four pounds and four pounds and two ounces, flatlined two times at birth, thought they were going to lose him. before. And you know what the doctors are saying and the nurses are saying? And the enemy of David and Hillary Anders was saying, oh, I'm fixing to take it. I'm but what he's forgotten is the Bible said God knows the end from the beginning. And on that day, he said, there will not be a negative report written about this boy. Come on, somebody. I don't know what we'd do in our family without him. But here's what I'm telling you. When God writes the end, it's a good story. I want our singers to come. I've been preaching to you 40 minutes. I want somebody to hear me right now. I had a brother that's gone on for his reward. Many of you know him. He did not live a great life. He was a great guy. He really, if he was your friend, he was your friend. He, he had a big heart, but made a lot of poor decisions. Spent a lot of his time in and out of prison, both state and federal. Never hurt anybody except their pocketbook. And we always prayed and always wanted Darian to, to, to do different, to live different, and, and for things to be different in his life. It come right down to the end of his life and the Lord led him somewhere where he could feel free enough to worship and praise God many, many times in this altar. But just two short weeks before he died, when the world had written a story and an arrest record was 68 pages long, legit, 
All good. 68 pages. The Lord said, you let the world write a lot of your story. But I'm going to write the rest of your story. And just a couple of weeks before we had his funeral, and I stood behind a different desk, but the desk right here over his body, I had a good feeling. While the rest of the world said that rotten scoundrel, the Lord had said, just read the end. Because you see, what you're responsible for is that dash on your headstone. There's a birth date, and then there's a dash, and then there's a death date. Your life is everything in that dash. And let me say, that dash may not start right, and the middle may not be right, but when you get to the very end of the carving and the ink, who wrote last? Who closed out the story? Who wrote the last chapter in the last line? Who wrote the end? Maybe you got family members right now and you've been watching how their story reads and you're so disappointed and you're so concerned. I want want you to do something. Maybe you need something too, but if there's just somebody you love and you don't like the way their story's been written, I'm not going to ask their name. It's not my business. It's not the business of the church. But if there's somebody that you would love to come stand and just ask God, God, would you be the one? I'm just asking you one time, one more time. Will you be the one? If it takes John Wayne to talk to alcoholic Stuart Hanlon to write a song that'll touch a heart, Lord, could you orchestrate all that for my family member? Is there one person that has a family member that you want to live for the Lord? And maybe they're not. I want to ask you to come to the altar. Maybe you need something for yourself, but I just want you to come bring that name. Maybe it's five or ten. Maybe it's a whole family. Maybe it's your children, your grandchildren. None of their stories are looking good. Come on. We're going to stand together all across the auditorium. You come on, bring that name to the Lord right now and say, Lord, would you write their story? Would you finish it? Don't let the world finish my loved one's story. Maybe there's a person in this house. It's your story.